the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. Reconciling Congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. James 1 to 9. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? 
Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. I am a poor wayfaring and stranger While traveling through this world of woe Yet there's no sickness, no toil or danger In that bright world to which I go Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In August of 2013, I was in Washington, D.C. with my son John and my sister-in-law Kim, preparing to speak at the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. 
The day before the event, speakers were required to go to the headquarters of the National Council of Negro Women to pick up passes for themselves and their guests. So we made our way to the site of the NCNW offices, which sits on Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and the buildings of Congress. Inside the building, I noticed a bust of Mary McLeod Bethune. I knew Ms. Bethune had been a Methodist and that she was a founder of Methodist-related Bethune-Cookman University, one of the most respected of historically black colleges and universities. I knew she had been an educator and reformer, but the breadth of her life's work and achievements were not fully known to me. Mary McLeod Bethune was born in 1875 in South Carolina to parents who had been enslaved. Bethune left South Carolina after high school and went to North Carolina where she graduated from Scotia Seminary. From there, she went on to Chicago to attend Evangelist Dwight Moody's Institute for Foreign and Home Missions. And upon graduation, with no church willing to sponsor her as a missionary, she became an educator. A woman of faith, there was no doubt in her mind that she was called to bring opportunity and equality to black persons and especially to women. In addition to being one of the founders of Bethune-Cookman University in Florida, she founded the National Council of Negro Women, which was the first non-governmental organization to have status at the United Nations. She was vice president of the NAACP from the time she was 65 until her death at age 80. She was a close friend of Eleanor Roosevelt and had the ear of both presidents Roosevelt and Truman being appointed to federal posts by each. In 1974, a statue of her was erected in Washington, D.C.'s Lincoln Park across a courtyard from Lincoln himself. It took no small amount of organized to have the statue of Lincoln turned 180 degrees so that Bethune and Lincoln were face to face rather than having her look at his back for all of eternity. One of Bethune's successors as president of the National Council of Negro Women was Dr. Dorothy Height, who was famously denied the stage at the original March on Washington by the All-Male Organizing Committee. The building where the NCNW is now housed is named the Height Building after her. And this is the building where speakers were told to pick up our tickets the building that housed the famed organization that Bethune started and that Height also led. It was an interesting choice. When the ticket pickup could have happened in any number of buildings, some much closer to the site of the event at the Lincoln Memorial, the proverbial house that Bethune built was, but was where this important piece of admission was going to be conferred. I have to wonder if this was intentional. The 50th anniversary of the March on Washington was organized by the Martin Luther King Center for Nonviolence and Social Change with the lead organizer for the event being Bernice King, executive director of the center and King's youngest daughter. 
Was Bernice King trying to write a past wrong, saying implicitly, black women were barred from speaking 50 years ago, but today, to even get through the gate, you must pay homage to Dorothy Height and Mary McLeod Bethune. Maybe the women were kept from speaking in 1963, but, but it seemed like Bernice King was saying, 50 years later, if you're going to speak, you're going to have to go through the women first. Our scripture today from the book of James, which you heard Abby read, is about a kind of gatekeeping that grants access based on symbols of power or place in society. Hear these words from James again. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Bethune was a different kind of gatekeeper. She stood for the door being opened for all people, but she held it wider for those who were disenfranchised, those who were poor, those who experienced the weight of systemic and interpersonal oppression. One of the remarkable things about Mary McLeod Bethune, though she came herself from humble origins, was that she did not ascribe any particular weight or offer additional respect to the many persons of wealth and power with whom she worked and organized. They, like she, were laborers in the fields of the Lord, beloved children of God. Mary McLeod Bethune's authority was not based on wealth or inheritance. Her authority was what we call moral authority. The power with which she spoke was based on absolute confidence in the promises of God, that love was love, and each person's worth is a God-given gift. She enjoyed teaching and spending time with poor black children, fearlessly faced white opponents and sometimes converted them through a loving welcome and confidently walked into the White House to advise the president and the first lady. Returning to the scripture, James continues, listen, my dear siblings, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of God promised to those who love God? And we see that not only are we to live out a radical equality with respect to all persons, but that in fact, God's priority like Bethune's is for the poor. This can be a hard paradox for the non-poor to accept. Used to having and getting, used to the idea that God loves us all the same, we startle at the idea that God would have a priority for the poor. But it was this paradox that Mary McLeod Bethune understood, that not only was no one better than she, but as long as there was social inequality, she had authorization from God to address and eliminate that inequality. As liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez has written, in the Bible, poverty is a scandalous condition, inimical to human dignity, and therefore contrary to the will of God.
The tension of this paradox has been present in Methodism from the beginning. John Wesley, the 18th century Anglican priest, felt that the Church of England was too focused on the social hierarchy of the day. He felt that the message of grace and love was not reaching the miners, the laborers, those who worked in the fields. They didn't, he felt that they didn't feel welcome in a church or a parish that expected, whether implicitly or explicitly, a level of material wealth expressed in dress and, and custom. And so he went to the fields and the mines and the pubs and preached, inviting all into this radical fellowship of equality and into a crusade to eliminate poverty, social stratification, and other forms of inequality to the glory of God. And out of this moral authority, the Methodist Church was born. Mary McLeod Bethune proceeded in this tradition with this authority, and yet that same Methodist Church, our Methodist Church, still struggled with then and still struggles to this day with the centering of those with status and power. In 1844, the church with the founder who had preached abolition of slavery had become conformed to the way of America and could not find the moral authority to maintain the abolitionist struggle with singleness of purpose. The church split into North and South and 60 years later, when talks of reunification began, Mary McLeod Bethune vehemently argued for one unified church. Had we listened to her voice of moral authority, we would be a stronger, more faithful church today. Instead, the central jurisdiction that segregated African-American Methodists from white Methodists was created when Northern and Southern Methodists reunified in the Methodist Episcopal Church. But Mary McLeod Bethune, true to her gift and way of authority, led the Committee on Women's Work of the Methodist Episcopal Church, which was determined that organized women in the Methodist Church would be unified across jurisdictional lines. Black women organized for mission would take their rightful place in a single national Methodist women's movement. Until days before her death, Mary McLeod Bethune was serving and organizing for the vision of a world that God gave to us where the equal worth of all was honored and a preferential option for the poor was advocated for and struggled for until that world was realized. Her last will and testament is an ongoing gift and symbol of her way of authority. Bethune wrote, Sometimes as I sit communing in my study, I feel that death is not far off. I am aware that it will overtake me before the greatest of my dreams. Full equality for black persons in our time is realized. Yet I face that reality without fear or regrets. I am resigned to death as all humans must be at the proper time. Death neither alarms nor frightens one who has had a long career of fruitful toil. The knowledge that my work has been helpful to many fills me with joy 
and great satisfaction. She went on to say that her worldly possessions were few, but she had deeded her house to the Mary McLeod Bethune Foundation for research, interracial activity, and the sponsorship of educational opportunities. She wrote, so as my life draws to a close, I will pass on to African Americans everywhere in the hope that an old woman's philosophy may give them inspiration. Here then is my legacy. I leave you love. I leave you hope. I leave you the challenge of developing confidence in one another. I leave you a thirst for education. I leave you a respect for the use of power. I leave you faith. I leave you racial dignity. I leave you a desire to live harmoniously with your fellow brothers, sisters, and siblings. I leave you finally a responsibility to our young people. In each of these uh, legacies, she detailed what she meant by that, and I commend her last will and testament to you in the fullness of its wisdom. And then she closed with this, if I have a legacy to leave my people, it is my philosophy of living and serving. As I face tomorrow, I am content, for I think I have spent my life well. I pray now that my philosophy may be helpful to those who share my vision of a world of peace, progress, brotherhood, and love. May we as co-laborers toward the kingdom of God inherit her way of authority and continue pursuing the world she knew was possible. Amen. United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. 
Spread